0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops. I am your host. And today, uh, we're going to be doing a special solo episode. It's going to be another one of my uh, breakdown episodes where I give the takeaways from a particular uh, book. In this case, today's topic is going to be Save the Cat Writes a Novel uh, by Jessica Brody. I just recently completed the book, it was excellent, and I had some great takeaways from, from the novel, or from the, the, the book, on how to craft a novel. Uh, many of you may be familiar with the original Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, which was an excellent book, uh, primarily written for screenwriters, but there has been a new adaptation of this book that is designed specifically for novelists, and I wanted to, to dive into it and take a look at it and, and see what else I could learn from this this um, particular type of structure. Um, (laughs) I love it when you break down, I mean break it down. Um, Thank you for the comment, I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to try not to have a breakdown, I'm only going to try to to break it down, thank you, thank you for that, uh, Lucy. Um, uh, As always, this is a live episode, so anyone who is watching live, feel free to comment, ask questions, or if you want to... You know get into a a particular area of this book a little bit more i can maybe get a little bit further into the details in some of my notes um or if you're watching the replay later feel free to post up comments and we can you know try to discuss it in the comments thread on this video afterwards i did post a link to the to the uh novel sorry it's not a novel it is a book about how to write a novel uh so save the cat writes a novel you'll find a link to, to amazon in the uh comments feel free to check that out if you want to look at it yourself i do highly recommend this book Um, I'm going to give you sort of some of the Cliff Notes version of it uh, in this episode, but I do highly recommend uh, purchasing the book. And it it was it was a little bit steep for me. You know, I don't typically spend you know twelve dollars on an ebook, but in this case, I was happy happy to find that it was worth the value. Um, I got a lot out of it. So, uh, without too much further ado, we're going to jump into it. Um, The reason why I'm doing this breakdown episode is because. One of the most important parts of this business and book writing is craft. And I think it's important to every once in a while, take a little bit of time to delve into craft topics and structure and outlining is something that's very important to me. It's something that I know that I personally struggle with a lot. So every time I start a new book and writing a new project, I attempt to read a new craft book at the same time as I'm working on the outline of this new story, and I find that by reading books on outlining, typically there's one idea in my head. There's an idea for a novel that sort of populates uh, as I'm as I'm reading this story, or as I'm reading the, the the outlining book, for example. Your your mind naturally wants to fill in the gaps of this structure with your own story, so it's a great way to kind of talk your way into creation of a story or talk your way through creation of a story there's a number of tools out there that I highly recommend Um, one is Dan Harmon's story circle which you if you haven't uh, been familiar with that I definitely recommend checking that out Um, there's a couple of great YouTube videos I was just sharing I had lunch with former guest of the show Boo Walker today and uh, we were hanging out and we were talking about this topic a little bit as well and I recommended uh, Rachel Stevens YouTube videos, and she has a couple of great ones on on Dan Harmon's Story Circle, which is um, she calls the plot embryo. There's also one, one called a tragic plot embryo for those who are writing villains and trying to learn how to structure a villain's story arc. Um, those are excellent resources. Of course, um, the original Save the Cat book is is, is great. Um, really breaks down a lot of the the essentials. Anatomy of Story by John Truby I think has been excellent. It's one that I've read in the past and um a sort of more abbreviated version of that and a great outlining book take off your pants by libby hawker um also former guest of the show um somewhat biased but i read the book and loved it far before she was ever a guest on the show so um highly recommend those and there's of course a a ton of other great craft books out there um how to outline a novel i think uh scott king who was an early guest of the show has, has one out that i also really enjoyed so there's a lot of great stuff out there uh chris fox has some books there's there's um, so much to be learned. So, so in any case, those are some great recommendations from me. I personally have gotten a lot out of those books. I also got a lot out of this one. So um, we'll get into a little bit of the details of what you can learn from the Save the Cat story method um, of structuring your novel. So for those of you who have not read the original Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, he basically takes all of all of movies... In creation essentially and lumps them into 10 genre categories and uh, those are the why done it which is just mysteries essentially solved by a hero um, there's rites of passage stories there's institutionalized stories which could be you know obviously actual institutions like one flew Out of the cuckoo's nest that sort of thing but also even just um, you know book Two of the Hunger Games is technically an institutionalized story where she's kind of in you know, a rigid structure of a society that you have to then either escape or join or destroy. Um, there's the superhero category, which uh, doesn't just pertain to the, you know, Marvel and DC universes of superheroes. It's also Harry Potter and anyone who has basically exceptional abilities in an ordinary world. Um, there's a lot of those stories out there. Um, then there's my per- one of my personal favorites, Dude with a Problem. A lot of the stories I write are Dude with a Problem stories, and there's a, a ton of them out there. Um, where basically an ordinary person is thrust into an extraordinary circumstance and then has to, uh, rise to the occasion essentially. So there's a lot of those stories out there, uh, due to the problems, a popular one, there's a fool triumphant, which is essentially an underdog story where you have a character who has, who has been, um, undervalued, who then has to prove their worth to society. Of course, uh, you know, a classic movie example would be Forrest Gump who no one takes seriously. And, you know, throughout the story, we were all rooting for him because he is the fool triumphant at the end and proves his, his worth in society and everything. Uh, there's a lot of those different stories out there. Uh, buddy love is a category, which I think is interesting because, because there are, of course, classic, you know, like buddy cop stories, for example, like Lethal Weapon, but you wouldn't necessarily expect to find that those are actually in the same genre category as romance novels, but in... According to Blake Snyder in the Save the Cat genre categories, those are actually the same genre of of storytelling. As far as the actual structure, they are very, very similar in that the hero is transformed by their contact with another person. Their story arc is dependent on this friendship or this relationship that develops um, between the two characters. And they're usually stuck together for some particular reason, Um, whether it's Riggs and Murtaugh. Um, being stuck together in *Lethal Weapon* as, as partners, or whether it's um, *You Know How to Lose Guy in Ten Days*, where you've got your, your hero heroes, you know, romantically clashing because of a, a bet or something like that. There's usually some reason why they can't get get away from each other for a little while. But very similar. There's the uh, Golden Fleece category, which is essentially your road trip stories where. Um, a group goes off in search of one particular thing and turns out they discover something else along the way, typically. That's usually the, the way the Golden Fleece-type stories work. Um, any, well, there's a lot of different road trip adventures that could fall into this. There's the out-of-the-bottle category, um, which is essentially an ordinary person is touched by magic um, and has a wish fulfilled. And this could be a literal wish. Um, like, for example, there was a movie Bedazzled, Quite a few years ago with Brendan Fraser where he gets visited by the devil and has his wishes granted and uh, has to go through this journey and typically what happens is that the hero ends up realizing they, they have to learn to appreciate real life one of my favorite examples of this is uh, the movie about time where a character discovers that his family has the ability to time travel and through the course of this story has to realize that um, He has to come to appreciate his his life without time travel at the end. Uh, Even though he has this exceptional ability, he has learned that it isn't the most important thing. and He has to, of course, go on this journey of discovery to to find what those important things are. Um, And then there's Monster in the House, the last category, the 10th category is Monster in the House, which um, a lot of us are very familiar with from, from horror movies and, of course, things like Jurassic Park, where there's a literal monster that a group of people are usually trapped with. And then there's typically someone whose um, responsibility is the, the monster, whose the monster is their fault, um, whether it's in horror, whether it's um, you know, Jaws, something like that. There's not anyone necessarily responsible for Jaws, but we are in a small boat on the ocean dealing with a monster, and that is the monster in the house story. Um, so those are the basic categories from from Blake Snyder's uh, book. And in this novel... Or, keep calling it novel. In this book, uh Save the Cat writes a novel. I need to take away this image of this book cover because it says novel in bold right in front of me, so I keep saying novel. Um, Jessica Brody basically goes into detail on these genres, but also but does it from the perspective of a novelist. Um there are major parts to this that come before that, though. They the um part of Save the Cat that Uh, Blake Snyder breaks down, initially, is the the different beats of a story, how you can look at a particular movie, for example, and break it down into these 15 individual beats that occur. And in this version of of the book, um, we also do that from a novelist perspective, because they are very similar. The way that a a, screenplay is structured and the way that a novel is structured, incredibly similar. and I'm going to go through some of those beats with you, and we're going to talk through kind of a little bit more in detail about the Save the Cat Beat Sheet, because it's important to understand these essential elements. One of the things that I struggled with, I know there were, I understood the overall concept of how to structure a novel, but I knew that I had weak areas. For example, um, writing the midpoint was always a weak area for me. Um, The theme stated was a weak area for me. So these are some of the things that um, we're going to get into, and basically what I'm doing in this episode is I'm going to be going through my highlights that I've had from this from this book, having read this book on craft, and I want to share those highlights so that those of you who may not have time to uh, read this entire book will at least have the ability to, um, you know, kind of catch catch the highlights and kind of get get the main thing um, from this, okay? So, let me go in here and talk about it look up the beat sheet and I'm gonna go ahead and give you the breakdown of, of what the beats are and then um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with the original 15 beats from Save the Cat uh, they are the well I'm just gonna go ahead and, and uh, read the whole thing here probably but the the opening image is, is number one and what what is nice about this book that Jessica does is she actually gives you a uh, percentage value essentially for um, when this particular beat should happen. And, um, it's helpful because we don't always, you know, structure our stories naturally the way that they should be structured. And by doing this, um, we're able to kind of ballpark the overall story before we ever start writing it. And if we understand where the midpoint should be, what, what elements go into the first, first act, second act, you know, second half of the second act. And then of course the third act, then it's important to, um, you know, be able to structure a story well. I see Milton is watching, and I see Marilyn is watching. Hey, Milton and Marilyn, thank you for for, uh, tuning in and saying hi. It's great to see you. Appreciate you uh, checking this out and and saying hello. Um, So, the first uh, beat of the story is called the opening image, where we are basically um, seeing the character in their natural world for the first time. We're in the the very first um, view of our character, of our hero. And you can see what their life is like before they have gone on this journey. This is a great um, picture because of the fact that it's gonna change. And the, the whole point of having a story is so that the character can go somewhere new and become something different than what they are in the, to what they've started out as. So, but by seeing, by opening act one image, we are given a view into this character's world and then, giving the option to, um, you know, kind of see at the end, we're going to have an ending image as well, and it's important that that this is changed. Okay, so that typically takes place in the in the zero to one percent range of the story. We get the very opening image of a of a movie or of a of a character and what they're like. Um, next up, we're going to see a theme stated, and this is usually in the first. Um, of the story you're going to see a theme stated and this typically is is going to be stated by someone who is not the hero because if the hero Understands the theme of the story right from the beginning then there's no point in them going on this journey because they they haven't got Something that needs fixing Um, if they understood the theme then they they wouldn't they would just do it They would just fix their their problem But one of the most essential things about creating a character right in the beginning is that you of course have to give them a problem Um, all characters are flawed all good characters are flawed at the beginning of a story they have a problem that needs fixing they have a want and in this case they they have a way that they think that they're gonna solve the problem and this is usually the wrong answer Um, and what happens is that through the course of this story they come to the realization of what their actual flaw is and how they really need to overcome it what their actual need is so when you're starting out writing a story Make sure before you even get into structuring the beats that you understand a couple of sim- simple things like the problem. What is your character's problem or flaw? Uh, what is their want in, in terms of like how are they going to go about uh, trying to do, to solve this in the wrong way? And then you can turn around and, and see uh, what is their actual need. What do they really need to do to solve their problems? And um, that's how we're gonna um, we're gonna uh, you know finally actually resolve this story. Okay, um, Jessica has a great tip here. She says, Writing flawed heroes, don't let the problem stay contained to just one area's, area of your hero's life. Let the problem manifest and spread and infect. Your hero's problems should be affecting their entire world, their work, their home life, and their relationships. So basically, this particular problem should be making a mess of your character's life. And um, once you've established what that problem is, then, then the, the character can really start. Um, having this journey so the setup is essentially establishing this the theme stated is going to be you know, giving your 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 hero the out they have the answer usually stated by some sort of mentor character early on um, but they reject this they don't they don't necessarily accept this particular solution this life lesson that they need to go on is um, they haven't learned how to to accept it yet so it says, the life lesson is the inner journey that your hero didn't even know they were on will eventually, that will l- eventually lead them to the answer they never expected. The life lesson should be something universal and something inherently human. Um, the big part of the setup is getting your reader to buy into this story. This setup and this premise has to be something that we can relate to. Um, later on in, this, in the story, in one of my other notes, um, I think she talks about the idea of like, how to choose your hero. And one of the things that she suggests is if you look at a variety of heroes and you're trying to figure out who your main protagonist is, try to find the one who's the most like your reader. And because the, the reader needs to buy into this character and go on this journey with them. So if you find the one who's most like your reader, um, take that reader on the journey and take, take that to be your, your hero and then go from there. So um, there's going to be a, some sort of spiritual lesson involved. We don't just buy on to read stories about things happening. We buy into stories because things happen to characters that we care about. And that's a big difference. Um, Jessica puts it as, the spiritual lesson or need is what your reader will grab onto. It's what makes your reader feel like they've been somewhere, done something, or experienced something. So it's important that we don't just take our reader on a journey. We have to have them feel something or experience something along the way. Um, Otherwise, they've just gone for a boring ride. And that's never what we want to do. Um, yeah, here's what she says. She says, if you're writing a story with multiple main characters and or multiple points of view, and you're still having problems figuring out who the hero is or whose arc is the biggest, try asking yourself, which of my main characters is most like my reader? Um, not that all heroes have to fit this description because we're not all going to be wizards, for example, but we can relate to a child who is, um, dealing with over, over abusive or just abusive, you know, foster parents, for example, and we relate to them. Um, And when we're picking out this hero, we say that does your chosen hero change more than any other character in the novel? That's also one of the things that we should understand about our hero. They should, when we're building this setup, we have to make sure that they are actually going to have the most change because they are the character who needs to change the most. Um, Is your hero's problem or flaw specific? They have a very specific problem that needs to be solved. So when you're coming up with your problem, make sure that it's very clear. Uh, Does the hero's problem or flaw create a desperate need for change? because like we said, this should be infecting, this flaw of theirs should be infecting their entire world. It should be ruining their life. And if this particular flaw isn't resolved, bad things have to happen later. Um, is your hero's goal tangible and concrete? Will we as readers know when or if they achieve it? This is important because a lot of books sort of just wander around. Um, whereas if a goal's a hero's goal is very specific. We know our progress, and we know how close they've come to reaching that goal, and we know when they fail and when they succeed. It's very clear for us. Um, is there something standing in the way of your hero achieving that goal? If not, the goal is too easy. So you need to have something, um, an equal opposition, basically, or greater opposition to your hero. A lot of times your villain or your antagonist needs to be more powerful and stronger than your hero. And is your hero's need or life lesson universal? Um, would a random person on the street understand it? For example, in the about time um, example I just used, um, the hero of the time traveling story, none of us get to be time travelers, unfortunately. However, we can all learn to appreciate our own life and our own day to day. So that lesson at the end of about time is something that we can all relate to. Okay. So after we've had our setup, we have a catalyst, which is usually some sort of disaster. Um, that has, it may set up the, the need in some way, um, but basically the hero has something happen to them that forces them to change. They are now being booted out of their act one world. They are no longer capable of staying there. They have to now enter into, they have to choose, uh, whether or not they're going to try to fix this problem or whether they're just going to give up and, and cover their head and, and run away. Um, so, um, the catalyst is something that is not usually in their control. However, at the right after the catalyst, um, we have well, we'll read what she says. She says, an inciting incident or life-changing event that happens to the hero, which will catapult them into a new world or a new way of thinking, an action beat that should be big enough to prevent the hero from being able to return to their status quo, set up world. is the way she phrases it. All right, right after this becomes a debate. So this is a reaction sequence in which the hero debates what they will do next. They have to decide how are they going to respond to this particular catalyst. It's usually presented in the form of a question, such as, should I go? The purpose of the beat is to show the hero's reluctance to change. And sometimes they're more reluctant than others. You know, Harry Potter finds out he's going to be a wizard. That sounds amazing. It doesn't take him too long to get out of that little cabin on the rock. Um, However, this sets up an important change. This changes from Act 1 of a story to act two and we have now entered into the act two world and this is something that I um, really got a lot out of because of this book is she really dwells on the change and the difference between the act one world and the act two, act two world alright so the next beat of the beat sheet is break into two and this usually happens about 20% of the way into the story this is the moment the hero decides to accept the call to action leave their comfort zone try something new or venture into a new world or a new way of thinking. It's a decisive action beat that separates the status quo world of act one from the new upside down world of act two all right and now we are introduced into this new amazing world okay so we are now in the b story Uh, now the introduction of a new character or characters will start to happen in act two okay so we're going to be ultimately um, being taught this theme usually through some of our B character stories the idea there's the idea of the a story so if you're not familiar with the a story which is the main problem that the hero is solving there is now also a b story which is sometimes a love story sometimes a friendship there's usually other characters who will in some way impart this wisdom or help your hero to understand their flaw it could be a mentor there's a lot of ways this can happen um, the characters will ultimately serve to help the hero learn the theme also referred to as a helper character This can be a love interest, nemesis, a mentor, a family friend, a family member, or a friend. All right. So from this point on, um, and this might be, you know, Ron Weasley meets Harry Potter and says, hey, by the way, I'm going to teach you about friendship because you've never had any friends before. And friendship is going to be an essential part of solving this problem later on at the end of the story when he has to sacrifice some of his friends to weird plants in a chess game and then before he can ultimately go on and be the hero he needs to be and, you know, Find out that, that his professor is secretly attached to Voldemort so like there, but you see how it mirrors like from your act your act 2 character your B story how is it going to eventually intersect with your um, finale so it's, it's important it's all related so you have to have these characters you have to have it set up right all right so the fun and games this is where we see the hero in their new world uh, they're either loving it or hating it so succeeding or floundering also called the premise of the premise which is basically, this is the hook of the story. This is why your, your readers even bought into this book in the first place. This is where your hook comes from. If you're wondering how to write your blurb, this is the part of the story that's interesting. This is the world that they bought into. Um, this is the wizarding world of Harry Potter. If, if we didn't find out in the blurb that this kid was going to be a wizard and go to wizarding school, you know, there's no point in picking up the book. And The wizarding school was the fun and games for Harry. Okay, We want to go to a school where you learn about magic. And that's just fun. So that's why we bought this book in the first place. Okay, so this is the hook where we're... The fun and games portion is actually a big chunk of the book where we're learning about this world. Uh, we're learning about the major differences between the Act 1 world and the Act 2 world and why um, the hero has to change um, the way they were before in order to fit in this world and there's a couple different ways this can happen like you can your hero can be thriving in the Act 2 world for a while or they can be just having a terrible time in the Act 2 world um, you know yeah it depends on the story so <clears throat> then there's a midpoint and then there's a this is this is the one that I struggled with a little bit was the literal midpoint of the story and this is something that um, I think a lot of authors struggle with is understanding your middle um, this is literally the middle of the novel where the fun and games culminates in either a false victory because the hero has thus far been succeeding or a false defeat where the hero has thus far been floundering uh, something should happen here that raises the stakes and then pushes the hero toward a real change um, in this case like for example the hunger games um, she was doing pretty well but then um you know she's considering she's trying to, you know there's a bunch of people trying to murder her a bunch of tributes or fighting her through the hunger games and we, of course we act two is the beginning of act two is our fun and games we bought into the hunger games because it is a A world where um, you know everyone all these teenagers are being forced to kill each other that's why we bought bought into the book but you know act two there's there's a sudden change there's a sudden realization that hey maybe Peta could live too maybe there's some change to the rules where like all of a sudden she has a shift in goals Um, and this is a lot happens and we'll discuss the midpoint a little bit more just because it's something that I think is very important and I needed to work on after that is the then beat number ten is the bad guys close in, which is usually fifty percent to seventy five percent of the story. Uh, if the midpoint was a false victory, this section will be a downward path. Where, um, or if it, if it was an upward victory, you know. If the midpoint was a false defeat, this, this section will be upward, where things will, will get progressively better for the hero. But regardless of the path, the hero's deep-rooted flaws or internal bad guys are closing in. So bad guys closing in doesn't necessarily have to be literal bad guys. It can be, um, in the case of Hunger Games, something like that, where you're going to have literal bad guys like the Capitol trying to like, make her life terrible. But it also can be the hero's internal flaw is becoming more and more of a problem throughout this part of the act. Then we reach the always lost point, which is usually 75% of the novel. This is the low point of the novel. This is an action beat where something happens to the hero that combined with his, their own flaws or their own internal bad guys, pushes them to rock bottom. So this is usually the breakup scene, uh, something terrible in a romance novel. Um, something bad has happened that has brought this hero to their knees. They've lost their friends. They've, um, all of the, the things that they have tried so far have failed. And then that pushes them into the Dark night of the Soul, which is the next beat, beat 12. This is a reaction beat where our hero takes time to process everything that has happened thus far. The hero should be worse off than at the start of the novel. And this is the darkest hour, just before the dawn. It is the moment right before the hero figures out the solution to their big problem and learns the theme. Okay, so here's the moment where our theme stated, originally stated by our, our mentor character or some sort of friend or by way back in Act 1, the lesson that they should have learned right from the beginning is now being actually learned. The hero has finally figured it out. You know, I do need to to care about people. Or in the case of "It's a Wonderful Life," you know what? My life actually is wonderful, and I you know need to need to get back to it. Um, I my matter, and it, I thought that my life was worthless because I never left town. these these are the things that that change in a hero. Okay, so then we have our break into into three, which is because of this realization. Our hero is now armed with the skills to go back and face their problems head on, okay? So we have a break into three, which is the aha moment. The hero realizes that they, what they must do not to, to not only fix all the problems created in Act 2, but more importantly, to fix themselves. Um, their arc is nearly complete. Then we have the finale, which is 80% to 99%. Uh, Beat 14 is the finale. The hero proves that they have truly learned the theme and enacts acts a plan that they came up with in the break into three. The bad guys are destroyed. Flaws are conquered. Lovers are reunited. Not only is the hero's world saved, but it is a better place than it is than it was before. Um, I see Cecilia's watching. Hi, Cecilia. Thanks for t- tuning in. I see Jamie Albright's watching. Hi, Jamie. Great to see you. I uh, appreciate you checking it out. Um, and then we have our final image. Our very last uh, beat of the, of the Save the Cat structure is the, f- the final image, which is a mirror to the opening image, where basically this is the after snapshot of who the hero is after having gone through this epic journey. We should be able to compare... Our act one opening image to our uh, final image and see the difference that this overall change in the story has wrought on them. Their world may not be better. It may be that they never actually learned their lesson. It could be that they are a flawed, tragic hero, and, but we, the reader, have learned a lesson that they should have learned. That's an option too. Not, not all. It's not always a happy ending for every hero, but um, that's it. That's the basic overall 15 beats. So. Um, I hope you uh, that, that happens in, in screenwriting it also happens in novel writing um, so those are some things that we should understand about every story and then what uh, Jessica Brody does is helps you dive into each one of these in a, in a deeper way and all of us sort of understand where our particular flaws are in, in our stories like we kind of understand the weaknesses sometimes and by plotting out these different beats we can we can get a better grip on them um, I'm going to go through just a few of my notes real quick. Some of the, the high points from um, from having gone through this book, and I don't have time, unfortunately, to go through each of, each one of those beats in detail. But that's why, of course, you read the book. Um, some things that we that I highlighted along the way. Um, Act two is an upside down version of act one. This is something that I think really stuck with me. It means that everything in act two should be upside down versions of everything. Like your characters, one of the things that stuck out to me here was characters you meet in act two shouldn't exist in act one or shouldn't be able to exist in your opening. Or if they do exist, they shouldn't be, um, capable of the same power or the same action. You can't, just have wizards walking around in Harry Potter's original world with the Dursleys. They don't belong there. It's a separate place. He has to go into this other other world to really learn this lesson. Uh, there's a lot of ways this happens, especially with love stories. You know, your love, your original love story wouldn't happen the way the character was in the opening image. They had to have changed something in order to be equal of this person or whatever it might be. That, that the the B story characters belong in Act Two not in Act 1. I thought that was something that's important. Um, Continuing to talk about B-story characters, there are only two criteria for a successful B-story character, according to Jessica. She says they must in some way represent the upside-down world of Act 2. They must in some way help guide the hero toward their life lesson or theme. I think that's important for all of your um, Act 2 characters to do, whether they're um, positive or negative characters, whether they're they're villains or friends, they're going to all point the hero towards the theme. Alright, during the midpoint, midpoint is magic. According to Jessica, it says basically it is a single scene beat in which three very essential things must happen. The hero experiences either a false victory or a false defeat. The stakes of the story are raised and the A and B stories intersect in some way. Here is where the world that the hero is occupying in in Act 2 has to somehow collide with their A story. The problem from Act 1 and the characters from from act two are colliding at some point. Um, then we have our bad guys close in, which is, um, of course a struggle for some people. Cause how is the, how is this happening? Is this, you know, positive or negative? And this is a long section. Like the fun and game section, the bad guys close in section is a very long section. This is like 30% of your book. Um, Jessica says, first of all, don't panic. And second of all, don't be fooled by the title of this beat. Just because it's called bad guys close in doesn't mean that you need to have literal bad guys. In your story, it doesn't even mean that only bad things can happen in this beat. The direction of the beat is actually highly dependent on what you did with your midpoint. So whether your midpoint was a false high or a false low, that's going to kind of change the direction of of your um, act two, uh, part two of act two. Um, Okay, moving on to the all is lost. I had a note about that. Even though whatever happens in the all of loss is happening to your hero, it should at least be somewhat your hero's fault. Um, Why because the stubborn fool still hasn't learned the theme so basically the all is lost the dark part of your story Has to still relate to the theme of your story and it has to relate to the fact that your hero hasn't learned the theme yet so um, even though it's bad things happening to the character oftentimes um, in the all is lost moment maybe they've literally lost someone maybe they've lost their relationship, or they've lost, um, you know, their mentor. A lot of times, the mentor dies in a hero's journey story. The mentor dies during the always lost. But the reason why they they die is partly related to the hero uh, being stupid and not having figured out what they were supposed to have figured out in the beginning. All right, um, the breaking the three almost always includes the following realization for the hero: it was never them who had to change; it was always me. So your hero has to look, stop blaming the outside world for their problems, they have to stop thinking, oh, woe is me, these are all the bad things that have happened to me, they have to realize that they are the problem. So that is the main change from act two to act three, okay, is that realization. Um, they blamed everyone but themselves, it's time to wise up and face the cold hard truth that they are flawed. All right, um, so there there's, she also gives a five point finale, or five point breakdown of the finale, because the finale is essential for any story Um, And the things that she describes are gathering the team, um, which oftentimes, in the case of Harry Potter, see, he literally gathers some friends and goes off and goes to defeat the three-headed dog and and all these other things. They have a plan. You have to execute the plan. There is a sub-beat where a lot of secondary characters or team members make a B-story sacrifice. In the case of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's um, Stone, we literally sacrifice both B-story characters. Ron and Hermione are sort of B-story twins, and they both serve a lot of the same role. But Harry has to lose both of those friends along the way, sacrificing themselves for the cause because he, the hero, has to go on and, and finish this, this story. Um, it says, this is purposeful because every team member who falls away, the hero is forced to do it on their own, showing us that they really do have what it takes. All right. Um, then the next point in this finale is the High Tower surprise. Um, and this is that the plan was never going to work. Their plan was terrible because the... Turns out that the villain had some other trick up their sleeve. Whatever the original plan was, not going to work, not going to happen. Point four, the hero has to dig deep and discover something new about themselves. They have to really go for that theme and come, come back out with, with a new solution, a new, a new uh, way to solve the problem. Um, it says, but there is something deep down inside of them that will turn out to be the most important weapon of all. It's the theme of the story. It's the flaw that they've overcome. It's the proof that they've changed. Above all else, it is something your hero would never have done at the start of the book. Uh, they've come a long way since their days of, as, a, as a flawed little caterpillar. It's time to show them now as this beautiful butterfly that they've changed into. Okay, so that's, I think that was an important thing to understand is that the way your, your character behaves during the finale, during the dig deep part of the finale, has to be very different from what, how your character would have behaved in the beginning or any other point during the, the previous part of the story. All right, the subbeat is also called the, called the touch by the divine moment. All right, so then we have point five of the finale, which is execution of the new plan, um, where the hero now digs deep and uh, does something different that proves that they've got what it takes and they defeat the villain, or whatever that might might be, whether it's their own particular flaw or that it's an actual external villain. Um, This is a a point that she made, was if the opening image and the final image are not starkly and obviously different, then it's time to rethink your beats. So if, if after having gone through all of this, um, what we saw in Act 1 opening image and what we see at the finale, if they're not drastically different, our story wasn't good enough, basically. You need to go back to the drawing board and um, make a better story. So, (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it. The farther apart these two versions of your hero are, the more you've proved that there was a point to the journey. So make it count, set up a flawed hero in Act 1, take them on a wild ride through Act 2, make them prove their worth in Act 3, and then pay off all your hard work with a final image that leaves the reader with only one word floating through their mind. Wow. So that was her great um, analysis of how to basically look at your overall structure and say, did it work? Did all this beat, you know, diagramming work? What have I come up with at the end of this? So exercise she has is called the transformation test. She says, uh, at the midpoint, can you clearly identify either a false victory or a false defeat? Have you raised the stakes of the story? Does your A, external, and B, internal story cross in some way? Can you uh, identify a shift from the wants to the needs? So has the hero gone from wanting something to actually needing something and then actually getting what they need at the end? Um, Some other just a little oddball uh, highlights that I've got in here, um, she says, original is not achievable in novel writing, she talks about how the idea of, you know, every, some people object to the idea that every book will fit into a particular genre or um, category, and we think that we, we want to write this original novel, um, but she says, original is not an achievable goal in novel writing, just throw that word out the window right now, what is achievable is fresh, so do a fresh take on an ancient story type, that is what readers and publishers are looking for, which I absolutely agree agree with. She says, our job as writers is to tell a new version of a familiar story that we already know that readers are hardwired to respond to. All right, and then she gets into some some other details in this book, which I think are great. Um, How to come up with a hook for your book, how to come up with a premise, like the logline. She really gets into some good stuff there. Um, She says, when someone asks you what your book is about, what they're really asking is, what is it most like, and how is it different from that? Which I thought was a great way of putting it. I need a quick drink here. Um, I think that's one of the hardest things for people to do. Sometimes is to say to answer the question, "What's your story about?" It's one of the most essential questions that authors are asked. Uh, our readers are going to ask it. You know, the pe- our prospective readers are going to ask it. People, as we know that know us or know we're writing a book, are going to ask it. They're going, "Hey, what's the story about?" And the best way to do that is to think about what category it fits into. What are the stories it's like? What is it similar to, but then how is it different? So I think it's a great way um, of analyzing that. She says, so as you set out to plot and write your novel, try not to stress too much about finding the exact perfect genre match for your story. Um, You might find that your story exemplifies several genres, but your job is to pick the genre that your book is most like. And I think that was helpful. Um, Then she actually does breakdowns of each particular category, and I'm not going to get into that, but... Um for example, she says if your novel fits into the why done it category, you'll need to find ingredients like a detective, a secret, and some sort of dark twist. Um she'll you know, help you th- through this book she she really breaks down individual components, like individual ingredients of particular genres. You know, if this detective needs a life problem, they have to have a wrong way to attack this problem and then they, then they have to have a solution, just like any hero. Um she uses a lot of different great book examples throughout the story, um, ones that we understand. You know, mo- movies and, and novels, of course, that we we've read. Like you know, she uses The Martian a lot, which I love. There's just a lot of other great books in there that she uses. Um, but one of the quotes that I highlighted in here was actually not from Jessica, but it was actually from Albert Einstein. It says, "If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough." And I thought that was a fantastic quote because when you're getting into your your log line creation, your hook creation, um, the more simply and more concisely you can state your hook and your your theme of your story uh, definitely reflects how well you understand your story. So by getting into into some of the details here of understanding your themes um, and also understanding your act two, that's where your hook comes from. So I thought that was great. A couple of things I do want to... Uh, talk about she does have a couple of little templates in here which I think are really helpful um, so she talks about the um, let me see where, where I left off here Oh, a log line template she actually has a, t- a template for how to create your own log line which I thought was great and she says that the the log line goes like this this is basically a one-sentence description of your book a lot of us have struggled with writing this so that I thought this was helpful She says, on the verge of stasis, which is um, lack of change, a, a flawed hero must do something that causes them to break into act two. But when the midpoint happens, this false defeat or whatever, or the stakes being raised, they must learn the theme before the all is lost beat. So if you understand the beats and you understand what they are, you can then structure your logline based on just taking items from the beat sheet and then plugging them into this template, which I think is fantastic. I think it's hilarious. Uh, that, that uh, you no, know, I never thought of this, but she has come up with this particular structure. I will repeat it for you, which is on the verge of stasis equals death moment, which is what you've defined in the beginning. Uh, a flawed hero breaks into, into act two, but when the midpoint happens, they must learn that the, what the theme is before all is lost. So I thought that was excellent. All right. Um, and then there's, there's a lot of other beats in here that she breaks down, which I think are great. Um, there's one particular uh, other long note that I'm going to read to you just because I thought it, thought it was really good. Um, she said, I always work through the following questions when structuring. She says, what does the Heroes Act 2 world look like? How is it different from Act 1? Okay, that's a good question. Is it different enough? This starts to shape my break into two beat, which is how act two is gonna be different. How would my flawed hero change the wrong way based on what they want, not what they need? Uh, This continues to shape my break into two beat. What kind of major event would be enough to kick this hero out of their status quo and into this strange new world? So this is our catalyst, of course. This becomes our catalyst beat. Then the next question is, does my hero generally flounder or excel in this new world? This determines the midpoint and whether it's a false victory the hero exceed excelling in this new world or the false defeat in which case the hero flounders how does my hero then change the right way based on what they need uh, this helps me discern my break into three so the hero actually has to make the right choice at this point finally what kind of rock-bottom life changing event would be enough to eventually convince my hero to change to the right way um, this informs my always lost beat which you may recall is just another catalyst so she says Basically this is the journey. By asking these particular questions, we understand our hero's journey um, and why they behave the way they do. So understanding your character, um, understanding why they make the decisions they make is a a key part of structuring your novel and I found that very helpful. Uh, She also has a really great section on how to write a series. Uh, Those of us who are trying to write more than one book in a row in in the same series, she has some some great tips on how to structure your, your overall series, sometimes you might wanna take you know, act one is book one, act two, book two, you know, and act three is book three, for example, like there's different ways you can kind of do it, uh, depending on how many books you have, but she has a, obviously goes into detail with it and I, I found that helpful. I plan to go back and reread some of those sections. Um, so a couple other highlights I noted. One was a great, uh, just sort of keep it real moment, which was don't compare your work in progress to someone else's finished masterpiece, which is something that we need to tell ourselves often as writers. That every time we're working our way through um, one of these novels and kind of looking at the bare bones, rough material that we have in our hands and, um, you know, what we're working with, we shouldn't necessarily compare that to someone else's completed book and think, oh my gosh, what I have is garbage. Because it's not true. We're just, we're in the assembly phase. And this book is all about how to assemble something that will eventually become a masterpiece. So... I hope these tips are helpful. I know I ran a little bit long um, on this episode, went a little bit past the half hour, but I hope that you found uh, these tips useful. I do recommend checking out Save the Cat Writes a Novel if you've not already read the original Save the Cat. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to. I think you could, as a novelist, jump straight into Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Um, but either way, I enjoyed both. I definitely recommended both, and I am happy to have you know gotten more out of this one than the first one, um, but both were excellent. So, highly recommended. So, uh, that's it for this episode. Uh, We'll be back again next week with another great interview. Thank you, everyone, for, for watching and for listening, and I hope you have an excellent week.